It's over your life. From the cradle to the grave, we stand in the power of Christ and his righteousness. If you're not sure, my hand, I do apologize. Me and the elders and the board of trustees were talking about the love of God the other day and we got into a fist fight. I don't know how that happened. I came out the loser. Praise God. I want to speak on something today. I want to explain something. I'm going to do the best I can to teach today as opposed to what I do normally is preach. I don't know how good that's going to go, but I'm going to try to teach, so follow along. I'm going to ask you to find the Bible in front of you, because we're going to be preaching out of the Bible. I will take it. I want you to read it. I want you to turn to the page. Don't be scared of it. It's your friend. It's God's love letter to you. So pick up your Bible. I will be preaching out of the the New International Version. I want to explain a couple of things today. I want to speak about the Word of God. What does it say? The living Word. How many people know that the Word of God is alive and active? Do you believe it? Do you understand it? Are you sure? We're going to see. We often hear that you need to be in what? You need to be in the Word. You need to study the Word. You need to hide the Word where? If we don't have the word, we're going to dry up and blow away, aren't we? The word, the word, the word, the word. But do we understand what we're speaking about when we tell somebody or we encourage somebody? The word of God has to be foundational in your life. It has to be the foundation. But what does that mean? When I read the New Testament, I see Jesus actually rebuking people along the way for not knowing the word of God. They read it, but guess what? They didn't understand it. Matter of fact, it says in John chapter 5, you read the word of God. He's telling the teachers of Israel, you read the word of God, but it only points to me. You think by reading it, you have eternal life. Just because you read it, people think they have eternal life. Just because you read it, you think you understand Christ. But that's not what it means. He told two disciples on the road to Emmaus that he rebuked them for reading the word, but not believing in all that the prophets have spoken. See, we can cherry pick. Christians and and, and the Jews of the Old Testament can cherry pick. I like this. That's a nice little story. I'll hide that in my heart. Oh, here, don't fornicate. I don't want that one over here. Don't get drunk. I don't want to hear that one over here. And then we build ourselves our own Bible study. And we don't believe in all that the Bible teaches us. I want to explain something to you. What it means by the Word of God. What we mean when we say you have to be in the Word. It goes beyond just reading the Bible. It starts with reading the Bible, but it goes much, much further than that. It's the word proclaimed. Are you with me? It's the word explained. It's the word understood. And then the word applied. That's what we mean by the word of God. You have to understand the word, you have to know the word, you have to be in the word, so it starts with reading, it starts with proclaiming, that's what we do on Sundays, but it really is in the explaining to be understood my job, John's job, anybody who steps into the pulpit our job is to proclaim and explain that you can understand and apply it to your life 
That's the most important. It's not a lecture. It's not memorization. The point is God has said something in his word that he wants us to understand. For you to understand that it is my job to explain it. It's John's job to explain it the best we can with the gifts and talents that God has given us. So that you can understand it and say, wow, I can apply this to my life. Last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, we preached on communion. And the proper attitude in communion. The proper attitude. What's communion all about? And, 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 and I think it went well. And I had some texts this week. People were reaching out to me and saying, Pastor, pray for me. Uh, you know, God's doing something in my heart. And I had several of those. Not just one or two, but several of those. People were reaching out and saying, I need something done. Monday night, we've been doing a lot of soul searching on Monday night with the men. And, and, and the word of God is doing something. It's stirring people up. And that's what it's meant to do. Okay? It's meant to be understood, proclaimed, understood, and applied. You know, when I was thinking about this week, I said, I want to spend some time on this dynamic. Because some people don't understand the word. We can say it. And you go to church and someone can open the Bible and say, read Psalm 95. But is that the word? So what I want to do today, I'm going to take a snapshot out of the book of Hebrews and show you how the writer of Hebrews proclaimed, explained, they understood, and they applied. Okay, so that's my my job today, to do the best I can, to show you how a New Testament writer did it. So we have to understand when it comes to the Word of God. So when you leave here today, you'll understand something. When someone says the Word, you understand it's about explaining it, it's about understanding it, and it's about applying that truth to our life. Amen? So I want you to follow along with me, and I'll try to do this the best I can. And we're going to start actually in Genesis chapter 2, so take your Bible. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to read one verse, and I'm going to show you how the writer of Hebrews addresses the situation in his life, in his congregation, through the Word of God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Turn to Psalm 95. I'll give you time if you're not familiar with the Bible. I'll let you go. Ask somebody next to you. I think I need help. Psalm 95. And we're just going to go to the sixth sixth verse. Are you with me? Listen to the psalmist. It's Aesop. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did at Merimah, or as they did in the day of Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried God, though they had seen what he had did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts have gone astray. They will not know my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Before I read Hebrews chapter 4, I will explain to you what's going on here. 
the writer of Hebrews heard some news. A report was coming to him that there was a church that was once steeped in Judaism who came to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And the years were going on and their faith was waning. There was persecution taking place. And slowly but surely the numbers started dwindling and people started going back into Judaism. And they started drifting away from the gospel. They started drifting away from Jesus Christ. And this was a very alarming to the writer of Hebrews. And so he has to do some quick, quick surgery. Something is breaking down there that they don't even see happening. The church is disintegrating. It's turning away from Christ. It's going into a backslidden stage. It's going into apostasy. They're turning away. They're going back to the temple worship. They're going back to the law of Moses. They're going back to the high priest. They're putting everything that Jesus Christ put an end to Jesus put an end to Old Testament religion but yet they're going back into Old Testament religion so the writer now gets this information and he discerns that he has to do something there's a problem in this church he discerns a problem and I'm just going to read something from you about root problems and this is what's being done here there's a root problem taking place and he has to get to the problem of it and I've been telling you my, I'm having all sorts of trouble here with my technology. Anybody do any gardening in this room? Anybody like to garden besides Pastor John? All right, now you know you live in Brooklyn. Nobody has a garden. Now, if this is Staten Island, we probably have a handful of people raising their hand right now. We don't have much grass around here, do we? You ever hear of root rot? Yes. The two people that own a little backyard, they know what root rot is. <laughs> I did not know what root rot is until I looked it up. I have to be honest with you. When it comes to identifying root rot, look at the plants. Plants with rot, root rot cannot absorb moisture and nourishment from the soil properly. The plants often resemble those suffering from drought and stress and mineral deficiencies. Signs of root rot in the garden plants include stunting, wilting, discolored leaves, foliage and shoots die back, and the entire plant soon dies. If you pull up the plant with root rot, you will see that the roots are brown and soft instead of firm and white. The best root rot remedy for garden plants is prevention. You see, this church has root rot, spiritual root rot. It's backsliding. And they can't see it. And guess who can see it? The writer of Hebrews. He's God's spiritual gardener. That's what pastors do. They recognize signs. They recognize deficiencies. They can talk to somebody. They can see a congregation. They can sit down and speak to somebody. And after a while, they get an understanding of what's taking place under the surface. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He does it for 13 chapters. For 13 chapters, he gets under the surface of this congregation. And he's telling them, yeah, we know there's persecution. And we know there's backsliding taking place. But there's a heart issue you cannot see. And that's what he's addressing. And so when we talk about the word, you got to be around the word. You have to study the word. Listen to how this man goes into the Old Testament, chapter 4. And he takes a, one verse of scripture in Genesis 2. We read it. God's rest. He ties it with Psalm 95. 
And he compiles a sermon that gets to the heart of the matter. You see, the Old Testament to the preacher is the toolbox that we do heart surgery. And you're going to see how this writer of Hebrews, like a, he, he's like a surgeon who has a scalpel and, he, and he's doing his fine tuning on the human heart. That's what he's doing. He's exposing them to their own root. Right. I know you don't want to look under the cover sometimes, but there's rot in our heart. Last week's sermon, I really believe, stirred up the fallow ground. And people took a good look and said, you know, this stuff in me. And that's the, that's the, the people were texting me and calling me. And they were saying this, this stuff in me. I'm not going to ask you where you were last week if you heard that sermon. But there's stuff in us. And it needs to be dealt with. And I can tell you now, the only way to deal with spiritual root rot is the word of God. That is it. It is the word of God that exposes it. It gives us a proper diagnosis of the problem. And that's what our writer in the fourth chapter is going to do here. He's going to give a proper diagnosis of their problem by using two Old Testament texts as the tools he's going to do surgery with to reveal what the real problem is going on over here. It has a way of not just revealing, but it gives you a diagnosis and a prognosis. You see, if you are a Christian, I can sit here on the word of God and say, whatever is ailing your life, the word of God can heal. And I'll show you how he does it. I can sit that with all the authority because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the word of God is alive and it is active. And it transforms Christians and only Christians. Those it saves, it transforms them from being a sinner to a saint. And then it takes that saint and conforms them to the image of Jesus Christ. The word of God is not passive. It's alive and it's active and it's going to transform the way God wants to transform. And it's going to hurt. When I got those phone calls this week, saints were hurting from the sermon last week. It got under their skin. It revealed something they weren't happy with about themselves. And praise God. That's the heart God can do something with. I hope the word of God makes you uncomfortable to the point where you ask for prayer. Because that's when something happens. So when we're talking about the word of God, oh, they preach the word. It's about the word, the word. Like it's some sort of antiquated, old religious, the rugged cross. Oh, they, all they do is sing songs and preach the word. No. When you preach and you proclaim and you understand and you explain, understand something, you will change. Because if you don't, God's a liar. God don't lie. So follow along with me as this writer is addressing their issue of backsliding because they got spiritual root rot and they don't know it. So to tell them, he goes into the Old Testament, into the toolbox. He takes out two verses of scripture and he applies it to their situation. Let's listen. Open up your Bible, please. Don't look at the screen. Everybody there? Okay, he's, a special, he's addressing their root rot. Therefore, since the promise of entering his arrest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had gospel preached to us, just as they did. That's Psalm 95. But the message they heard 
was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So the problem they're having at this church already is their faith is starting to wane. He's addressing the real issue over here. The real issue in this church is a lack of faith. Faith was once high, is guess what, is now, do you know that you can have weak faith and be a Christian? I know all of us here are on top of the world and we've got strong faith and no one's suffering with a lack of faith in this room, I know that. But I'm going to tell you right now, in your Christian life, one of the great enemies of your own life will be weak faith. Because when you have weak faith, you're closer to the world than you are to Christ. So he's addressing this issue. Please stay with me. He's taking this from Psalm 95 and Genesis chapter 2. He's saying it didn't do them no good because it wasn't confined with faith. They saw the miracles. That's the gospel in the Old Testament. They saw the miracles. They saw the exodus out of Egypt. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And they wanted to bring him into the promised land. But guess what? You remember what happened? The spies came out and ten spies said, no, we can't go in. It didn't unite with faith. So what happened? God was displeased. And he said, as I promised in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. That's eternal life. He's getting to the root of the problem by using two Old Testament texts. He's proclaiming the word. Now he says this. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God, Genesis chapter 2. Just as God said, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Look how he's putting these two. He's explaining two Old Testament texts. This is the word. The word proclaimed and the word explained. Listen. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says. They shall never enter my rest. He's talking about two different verses of scripture. From the Psalms and from Genesis. It still remains that some will enter the rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in. Because their disobedience. Therefore, God again said a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke to David, as we had said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He is schooling them in the Old Testament scriptures to bring about a contemporary change in their life. The preacher is going to a text that's 2,000 years old, close to it. And applying it to his congregation. You know why he can do that? Because the Old Testament is alive. Do you know why it's alive? Because the God of the Old Testament is alive. And when he spoke it, he spoke it into existence. It's still alive and it's still changing lives today. And what this congregation needed was one good Bible study from a preacher who believed that the word of God is alive. So it can get under and reveal their spiritual root rot. Because the problem in their life wasn't a man, wasn't a woman, wasn't a job, wasn't their health, wasn't their finances. It was their faith. And how many times you have to hear, if I had this pastor, if I had that pastor, if I just had a little more of this pastor, and if I just had that pastor. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, that's not what you need. You need faith to enter into God's rest. He goes on to say, 
For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Doesn't that sound nice? How many people here would like to have shalom? The Sabbath rest. It means wholeness. It means completeness. It means you lack nothing in your life. It means as close to perfect contentment as you can have on earth. How many people would like to have that? How would you like to wake up tomorrow saying, praise God, whatever tomorrow brings is cool with me because God's in control of my life. You know, whatever the doctor says, praise God, God's in control of my life. He's still Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. He's not going nowhere. How would you really like to go home tonight and just generally love your husband and wife and your children and not worry about one thing? That's the Sabbath rest. When you know Christ and you believe that the greatest gift is already given to you in eternal life, are you with me? You won't chase anything else. You see, the brighter Hebrews is right now because they're chasing other things. They forgot about Christ. They forgot about the Sabbath rest. They forgot about how sweet it is just to be in love with Jesus. And don't we do that today? Don't we find other things to try to fulfill our life? And my job week in, week out is before I come to preach to you, I got to remind myself my fulfillment is in Christ and nothing in this world. So I can proclaim to you everything you desire, everything you need in your life right now, you have in Christ. It's there. It's the Sabbath rest. You know, when I email and I text people, I always finished, enjoy Christ. That's my last thing, enjoy Christ. Because that's what it's about. If you're enjoying Christ, you will experience practically the Sabbath rest. So heaven for you and me is not, well, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Oh, big deal, but in the interim, I'm miserable. If you're a Christian, God won't allow you to be happy anywhere else but in Christ. To have the Sabbath rest. That's what he's doing to this church. He's calling them back to their rest. You who have entered it says here. You who have entered it. Stay there and enjoy it. Don't look anywhere else. They got spiritual root rot. Their problem is a lack of faith. They have all the symptoms. But they have no idea of the disease. He goes into an Old Testament text. He pulls out two verses of scripture from Genesis chapter 2. And in Psalm 95, he puts them together and he says, this is the problem. You're not entering into the rest through faith. You're trying to work your way into something. You're going back to the temple. You're going back to the sacrifices. You're losing the grace of Christ. You don't understand the intangibles of the heart of peace and joy and happiness and love. Those are the things that make life life, aren't they? Those are the things. So let's not lose it over here. He's stirring up their heart. He's getting them from an Old Testament example to show them their problem. He goes on to say here, For if anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from him, from his, let us therefore make every effort. This is where it really begins. This is the writer now. He's applying it to their will. Listen. Let us therefore make every enter to enter into this rest that Jesus paid for, that the Old Testament points to, 
so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. Where's the example of disobedience? Well, that's Psalm 95, speaking about the, the Israelites in the desert. When they, came out of, when they came out of Egypt, they didn't believe. How many Christians get saved? They're water baptized. And right on the precipice of growing, you start, they start to retreat. They start to redefine the print of the gospel. And they think God's trying to steal their fun. How much drunkenness, how much drugs, how much philandering is fun? How much of running away from God is fun? How much fun have you had in the world? Can I ask you? How much fun have you really had without Jesus Christ in your life? Let's not. Whatever you want to go back to, it's never fun. It's never restful. I love the way he's saying it over here. Make every effort to enter that rest. He's applying it to their will. Believe. Last week when I preached on communion and I preached on the condition of the heart and I used the Bible to reveal things of the heart, understand something, it began to work. Believe and trust and enter into the Listen to what he says now in verse 12. I'll spend some time here. For the word of God is living. What word was he just talking about? Is that a random religious saying? Take a moment. When he says the word of God is living and active, what verses is he specifically talking about? Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, and Psalm 95. Didn't he just quote those? They're the ones he's explaining now. Of course, the whole word of God is alive. But the point is, he's saying here, for the word of God is living and active. He could say that's why people are uncomfortable. Because they're listening to this, just like people heard the sermon last week. And it's, it's a, it, 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 it makes you queasy with yourself. It gets to reveal the secrets of our heart and the mode. Listen to the way he says it. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirits and joints and marrow. And then he tells us what he means by that. You say, well, what does that mean? He goes on to say, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what preaching does. Are you with me? Now listen. Do you want to sit under this kind of word? This is the word of God. This is what it means to study the word. This is what it means to proclaim the word, to preach the word. Let me tell you a secret. Are you ready? God sees all the symptoms in your life. But he's not here to trim the symptoms. That's what we do. When we see the leaves changing, what do we do? We trim a leaf here, we trim a leaf there. God's about the spiritual root rot. 
he sees the symptoms of malnourished plants. He sees the symptoms of a malnourished church. That writer saw the symptoms of a malnourished church that was lacking faith and going backwards. As a pastor, I can see people. I talk to people. I can see when faith gets weak and faith starts to wane, they start to pull away from God. I've seen people for one year every Sunday, every Monday, every Thursday, praise the God. And then for a month, you see them every other week. And after six months, it's once a month again. Guess what? You see it there, it's right out the door. That's faith. They got a faith issue. Not a church issue. Not, not, a, not a husband issue. Not a wife issue. Not a physical issue. I had to call a saint this morning because I haven't seen him. And, and, and it was this, it was that, it was this, it was that. I didn't have time to say it's not that. It's faith. Faith is the issue. Because you're seeing Jesus like he's this big. When you have big faith, Jesus is what he is. He's the savior and friend of sinners that transforms the leopard spots and changes us into his likeness. This is not about incidentals. This, these are peripheral issues we all have. Faith, truly believing that God knows what's best for you and me is at stake. Because when I don't believe that, I will take matters into my own hand. Because I want to have a fulfilled life. I don't want you to miss it. When we talk about the word, we are talking about explaining the word of God in its context so I can understand it and apply it to my heart. The word of God is alive and active. When he says that the word of God is alive, it's not some kind of antiquated, dead religious lecture. Understand something. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he got to the heart of the issue. He went beyond anger. He said, you heard that it says, you shall not be angry. But I say unto you, if you have judgment in your heart, judgment in your heart, that's where anger originates, in the heart. You're liable to the fire of hell. That's Christ. He gets to the heart of the issue. Do you know after he preached the Sermon on the Mount, you know what the last verse in chapter 7 says? It was a commentary on the people. They step back and all read it. It says, we never heard such preaching from our teachers. No one has ever spoken with such authority. You know why? He got to the heart of the matter. That's why. It wasn't about religious devotions, wash your feet, wash your hands, some kind of ceremonial nonsense that God's not concerned about anymore. God is concerned about the heart of the matter. What you need and what I need is the God to take his finger and put it on my heart and say, this is the problem. You're jealous. You're selfish. You're lustful. You're greedy. You're prideful. You're self-righteous. That's what we need to hear. Job says it best. The hands of God tear down and then builds up. That's what he does. He crushes us. He crushes the pride in us that says, I don't need to depend on him. I got myself. 
That's what the word of God does. It brings us down and breaks us down to size. Till you call up the pastor or you call up a friend and you say, pray for me, I need help in my life. God's dealing with an issue in my heart. That's when things change. Do you want to change? Then God has to put his finger on something. And if you want him to put your finger on something, you got to be under the preaching of the word. So every week in and week out, sooner or later, the thing you need to hear, you're going to hear. If it ain't this Sunday, it'll be next Sunday. If it's not next Sunday, it'll be next month. But throughout 52 weeks of the year, trust me, God will put his finger on that which you need most. That's what preaching does. It's the word of God explained, understood, applied. Listen to the qualification of God. Verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That's a qualification of his omniscience and omnipresence. He knows all and he sees all. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And guess what opens us up to that? It's the word of God. When you understand fully that God has jurisdiction over the attitude of your hearts. Think about that. You know, today, if someone kills somebody in, in, in a passionate way, in just a, a crime of passion it's called, they can get 15 to 25 years. But if it's premeditated, in some states, you get the death penalty. It was premeditated. I hope you see the correlation. It was an attention of their heart. That's what God does with us. You think you're just jealous? You think I just struggle with lust? Or you just struggle with jealousy? You just struggle with greed? It's an intention of the heart. And that's what our text is saying. The all-seeing, all-knowing God reveals the secrets of your heart through the living and active word as it's expounded upon, as it's explained, as it's understood, and as it's applied. That's God's jurisdiction. It gets better. I want to see how good it gets. Pick up your Bible. I want you to see the book. You ready? Here we go. I know. You don't have to be too cool. Pick up the book. It won't burn your hand. Listen to the writer. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who just made chopped meat out of us through his word. I'll paraphrase. Watch. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we did not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Do you not know that after you sit under the word, after your conscience has been so convicted, after God has revealed through his living and active word the, the spiritual root rot of our heart, the only place you can run is to the throne of grace. That's where you change. That's where the change takes place. 
That's when it happens. When I had phone calls this week saying, pray for me, they were running to the throne of grace. Yeah, they came to me because they wanted someone to stand in agreement. Confession is good for the soul. It's good. Secrets are no good. Confession is good for the soul. Secrets, you stay there, you don't change. But when you confess to one another, that's why James 5, 18 says, confess your sins to one another and so be healed. And that's what happens. You get thrown to the throne of grace. You throw yourself at his mercy. You throw yourself at his grace. You say, God, I heard the sermon. It cut me in pieces. It cut me to the quick. What must I do to be sanctified? That's where the change happens. You don't go to church and show up and change. That's what Jesus rebuked the leaders of his day in John chapter 5. You read the Bible, you study the Bible because you think by doing it you have eternal life. But it only points to me. What he says, you're reading your Bible and it's not doing anything. The Bible preached, proclaimed, understood, applied. This is the application. Go to the throne of grace. You have a sympathetic and merciful high priest who's been tempted in every way. He feels your pain. He feels what you're going through. He knows your need and he's able to supply because he can see all things. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He has all power and only Jesus Christ has the ability to change the human heart. That's it. That is it. But guess what? Because they lacked faith, they weren't going to Jesus. They were going to a man. They were going to the high priest. They were going back to the temple. They were going back to a sacrificial uh, uh, sacrifice system. They were going to washing their feet and washing their hands and ceremonial, ceremonial foods. This does nothing to cleanse the conscience. Let me go back to square one. I wanted to make a point. God has to change all of us in greater ways. We all need to be changed. We all do. Every true believer wants to change. God knows that. He preaches the word, whether it's Hebrews or me or John or someone other preacher. It reveals what's going on. It's a revealer of our insights. I can tell you more, or the word of God can tell you more about your life in a half hour than a lifetime of therapy can. That's a bold statement, isn't it? The Bible doesn't need 20 or 40 years of trying to put you back together. One good sermon can change your life. It stirs up faith, and it gets you moving, because the Word of God is living active. It's not passive. That's what active means. It means Living means the Word of God is not dead. Active means it's not passive. Active means it's alive inside us, transforming us into the image of Christ. I think I read somewhere that the truth, what, sets us? It's alive. But here's the antidote. I'm not the antidote. Pastor John's not the You can confess with us. You can confide to us. But we're going to do what the writer of Hebrews does. Go to Jesus. Please go to Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. I want to ask you this. What is it in your life you really want change? You know God wants to bring change. Close your eyes. Just listen to my voice. What is it? 
Go to the throne of grace. He loves you. There's nothing he doesn't know about you. He's concerned about every area of your life. He knows you need surgery. He knows you need faith. He'll give it to you. Ask Jesus. Take a moment right now. We're going to close this up, but take a moment right now. And ask the Lord fresh. This God who loves you and died for you. Ask him to change it. Take a moment. Let me pray for you. Father, I come before you. And I ask you to bless this congregation, Father God. I ask you, Father God, that you, who know the secrets and intentions and attitudes of our heart, you know where we need attitude adjustments, Father God. You know where we need to be changed from the inside out. Only you can do this, God. We are your children. We are here. We want more faith in our life to overcome these obstacles in our life, Father God. I pray for every man, woman, and child in this room today, Father God, that the Word of God does what the Word of God is destined to do to bring about your will in transforming our lives, Father God. Bless this congregation of Sonship Ministry. Bless every man. Bless every woman, Father God. Every heart that's lifted up to you right now, Father God. I pray you do a thorough work in their lives and in my life, Father God. Do not take your thumb off our heart, Father God. Let us know. Let us cry out. Teach us to pray transforming prayers, Father God, with burdens and tears in our eyes, Father God. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.